Greetings and welcome to the long-awaited third episode of The Overcast, a podcast dedicated to discussing the orcs in the Warhammer 40k universe produced by Games Workshop. So yeah, it's been a bit of time since I recorded the last episode of The Overcast. 2021 kinda was a no-go for this show. Many reasons, a lot of things went on. I recorded a fair amount of episodes for my other cast, or my primary podcast, the God Engine cast, a podcast dedicated to talking about Adeptus Titanicus. But for a variety of reasons, I never really found time to sit down and start talking about my orcs again. Partly this was linked to my exposure to COVID in the first part of the year, and then me getting a new job in the end of the year that changed my lifestyle pretty substantially. I sit here at the end of 2021 looking to the future and to to what 2022 is going to bring, I've kind of decided that it's time for me to sit down and start recording more episodes of this show. I have a lot to say about Orcs, and I think it's time that I start talking about them. A year ago, I had planned the third episode of the show to be a deep dive into the Goths and what it means to play them and what they represent in the lore. While I still plan on doing that episode, that episode is going to be for the future when I have more time to start digging back into the lore. Right about now, the show is going to take a bit of a left turn. Back when I started this show, I talked quite a bit about how I was a narrative gamer and how I really only played my orcs in narrative settings. And that has been the case since I really picked my orcs back up in 2018. Last year, I even ran a pretty fun crusade campaign, uh, watching my war boss slowly get bigger and pick up a stomper, and I had a great deal of time playing some really fun narrative games with him. That said, over the course of the last year, my thoughts on match play has changed, and I've slowly been convinced to give it another go. So, in about a month and a half, I am going to be going to a two-day tournament with my orcs, and I'm going to be playing them in a competitive environment. Um, this is pretty surprising, considering where I was last year and the year before that, but it's where I am now. And I thought talking about my challenges of going from a narrative game to a competitive game would be a good sort of topic of conversation for this podcast. So that is what we are going to be talking about on and off for the next couple of months. I'm going to be doing these irregular episodes talking about my journey into competitive 40k and playing orcs more competitively than I have before. I'm going to take a close look at a lot of units and talk about why I'm taking them and what battlefield roles I'll be using them in. And um, yeah, I'm going to share that conversation as I have it. Um, I think outside the box a fair bit, and I know I've spent a fair bit of time on the orc community on Discord and a lot of the Facebook groups, and I see definite tropes of how you build army lists and I definitely push away from the call to speed style lists but I think before we go any further I'm going to sort of set some ground rules and we'll go through some basic blocks as we continue through this sort of episode so let's just get on with it Before we get to the main section of the show, I'm just going to take a moment to throw in the usual plugs that these podcasters usually do. If you like the show, please rate and review it on your podcasting app of choice. It really, really helps my visibility and will let other people listen to the show, which more people listen to the show gives me, you know, better listeners and all that sort of good stuff. If you want to support the show, I have a Patreon and a Ko-Fi account, uh, like an online tip jar, and I'm always more than ecstatic when people actually throw a few dollars in my direction. Uh, the funds help me for the costs associated with generating these podcasts. 
um, buying the microphones, the rigs and the like. I'm also hoping over the course of the next year to start purchasing more video equipment so I can start taking this content more online, both in my God Engine cast and the other cast. I've also got my eyes on some reference material I want to try and track down, and I really, I've got some big ambitions and big plans that I would love to carry out, but that will all take a little bit more funds that I'll eventually get to spending on myself, but, you know, sooner the better. That said, the biggest way you can support the show at the moment is to give me feedback. This show is still pretty new, so if you want to reach out to me, please email me at god.engine.cast at gmail.com, or you can message me through the Discord, where I'm present on the 40k Orc community Discord site as Uveron. Um, it's out there in the goth section. I'll be posting in the shouting poll and creator's corner. I'm usually kind of present on a lot of the different places. If you find me, just shoot me a message. Um, yeah, just let me know what you think of this show. I am really hoping that I can hit a niche and uh, people will enjoy this content I'm putting out. And with all that said, let's actually get on with the show properly now. So, match play in 9th edition and the Orc's point of view of it. Well, last year in 2021, we had the brand new Orc Codex drop. I was there on day one picking up the Beast Snagger box, and I loved the new decks. I think it's changed the Orcs for the better. Um, though there are definitely some broken builds out there, with Orcs being incredibly competitive, there's also some really good, solid lists that will be fun to play here in my style. Which I suppose is somewhere I should start. So I collect a goth orc army. I don't have that many speed freaks at the moment. I know back in episode one I talked about the fact that back in the day, back in sort of 1998, 2000, I sort of collected a third edition called Speed Army, and it was great. But I don't have that anymore, and I haven't tried to recreate it with the new buggies. My list of the last codex basically resolved around large blocks of boys running around the table supported by some auxiliary units. It wasn't unique and really not that special, but I enjoyed it and it was always good fun to push big blocks of boys around. It also wasn't going anywhere near competitive 9th edition. It didn't matter what I put on the table as long as it sort of fit with the general story and I was having a bit of a blast doing it. And I did. It was good fun. This led me to a bit of a pickle when about a month ago I decided to go to this competitive event. I was looking at my lists that I've been running and deciding that basically if I was to go to an event with what I've been taking, I was going to play five games that I was going to lose and I was going to lose badly. Now while some people would appreciate the fact that I gave them an easy victory, to be honest if I'm paying $50 for five games, which is what I'm going to have to pay, I want to make sure I have $50 worth of fun. Now, I think the amount I'm paying for the game is appropriate. Um, the facilities are going to be very nice. They're going to provide me with tables of terrain and the like. So I get the economics of it. So this is not me trying to be complaining about the price of organized events. But I actually want to go and have fun if I'm going to spend the money. And the way to have fun at a game is to stand a chance of winning or at least being competitive. So I needed to put together a list that you know, was going to challenge my opponents. Not necessarily win the event, but perhaps, you know, if I sink the first two games when I get stuck into that lower tier, I was going to play a pile of games that I would really enjoy and stand a good chance of winning and make some good friends with. So I looked hard at what the Orcs could do, and I read through the 9th edition competitive packs several times, spending a lot of time flicking around Goonhammer and a fair few YouTube sites. And I put together a basic 
thought process of what I wanted to do on the table. So first of it was my big philosophy of how I was going to play on the table. I wasn't going to try and create a list that decide was there to table my opponent. I understand that that is a way to win in 40k at the moment, is to just blast the enemy off the table. But I actually subscribe to the theory that you could win a 40k game in the current 9th edition rules without killing a single enemy model, providing you were strong enough to resist the enemy's attacks, were able to secure the objectives, and just literally muscle the opponents off those objectives with enough objective-secured troops. Now, I don't think the orcs are capable of doing that, but I would much rather do that than table my opponent, because I think trying to table your opponent, it can be a bit of a reach with some of the lists that are out there at the moment. So in short, I was going to prioritise playing the mission. Now, the big thing I've got hanging over my head is the fact that the lists have to be together in a couple of weeks, and the event's not for a little bit longer, and there's a good chance we'll be using the new mission pack by then. So I can't even just start sitting down and tailoring myself to the current missions. But I know what a lot of the missions are going to look like in the upcoming chapter approved, or whatever it's going to be called. With a little bit of forethought, I've started putting together a list that will work under most conditions. So I'm going to go through that list, talk about what each unit's going to do, and then we're going to come together with a sort of summarise of how I imagine it all working on the battlefield, and what my intent on the battle strategy is going to be. I'm then going to finish the show with talking about how I plan on testing this list before I go to the event. And then there'll be future episodes with me talking about how this experiment's going. I'm making some decisions that I know will generate some discussion. Um, I've got some odd views, and I want to see them tested. And uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. Anyway, let's get on to the list. So let's start with the list basics. The event's going to be 2,000 points, so my list is a 2,000-point list. I ummed and aahed for a while about whether I was going to run a battalion or two patrols. The idea with a battalion is that I could just spam a lot of troops, and they would give me the board presence that I really was looking for. I'll talk about that more in a bit. But after a lot of debating, I decided that really what I needed on the table were war bosses. War bosses are perhaps the best unit we have in the Codex at the moment that isn't a buggy. In fact, there are a couple of war bosses that are also buggies, but neither here or there. The combat capability of the war boss is fantastic. The war boss allows me to call the war, which is also really important. And having a pair of them gives me a bit of flexibility about where I position them on the table. So because of my desire to run the two bosses, I basically pushed myself into a position where I ended up having to take two patrols. Both my patrols were going to be goth patrols, and I kind of felt that they gave me enough options, enough choices to fill out 2,000 points with my collection fairly well without having to make any hard decisions about what I was leaving at home because I was going to run out of slots. I looked at the possibility about taking a specialist detachment instead of the second patrol, but given the fact I needed to take all the troops, or I wanted to take the amount of troops I wanted to take, that second patrol just felt, it, it felt the right choice. So let's actually look at the individual units themselves. We're going to go through each slot by itself. So we're going to talk about the HQs, then the elites, then the troops, and then the fasts and heavies, and finally the flyers. So between the two patrols, I have four HQ slots, and I have filled them all. The first patrol will have my war boss in mega armor, who will be the actual war boss. He is going to be armed with the usual big shooter, but instead of the Ooze Chopper, I'm upgrading it to the Edwapas Chopper, and giving him the Warlord trait Cunning but Brutal. So, a war boss in mega armor probably is better with 
do crushing armor. But that's not what my war boss has built. My war boss was built to be a very big war boss who kind of isn't probably wearing that much armor. Definitely not the decrushing armor. And he's got a chopper that is meant to be the Edwapper's chopper. This has been my warlord for the last year. I didn't really want to change him for this list. So we're just going to leave it be. He's probably not going to be the greatest unit. And I thought about perhaps swapping him out for a standard war boss with some additional bonuses. And we may do that in the future if the mega armor doesn't seem to carry its weight. The warlord trait cunning but brutal is a sort of catch to ensure that if he's charged that he is going to be able to fight first. He is going to be slower than my other war boss, which we'll get to in a second, and I have a feeling that he may be caught flat-footed once or twice. So hopefully the warlord trait will give him that little bit extra swing and a bit more initiative. The purpose of this boss will be to act as the rear boss. He is going to be the one to call the war, as he's not going to be charging up the table as quickly as my other boss. He is going to support the main push towards the centre of the table. So unsurprisingly, as I've now talked about a boss that moves a lot quicker, and the fact that I'm playing a goth list, hopefully most of you will realise my second war boss is going to be a beast boss on Squigasaur. Spending some CP on this wonderful big boss, I'm giving him the warlord trait proper killy and the relic beast hide mantle. So that means the beast boss is going to be running around with 8 attacks with his beast chopper, strength 7 on the charge, AP minus 3, while his... Squig Hog Jaws is also strength 7, AP minus 3, or AP minus 4 even with the Goth trait. It is going to be great. He is going to be able to chomp through so many units so quickly and be very effective at what he does. The Beast Hide Mantle also providing that save after save just to give him that extra bit of resilience. Pretty happy with this guy. With his higher movement, he is going to be able to charge straight forward towards the opponent, leading a charge towards their most killy unit, trying to stop them before they stomp me. Or at least that would be the plan. Now these two bosses are backed up by two additional units. The first is a big mech with a shock attack gun. No upgrades, nothing special, just a standard mech with a shock attack gun. It's going to be there to usually do the sniping thing. The shock attack gun is a pretty scary gun. will hopefully attract some opponent's attention. Or put out some hurt on some units with a pretty tough armor save. It's got the potential to really nuke those enemy tanks or to snipe out enemy characters should they fall out of position. The second HQ is your standard weird boy. I'm looking at taking the de jump and de crunch on him, the idea being that he's mostly going to be used for de jumping units into position, trying to get enemy out thinking about where they're going to have to place units to keep them screened even around the back as I start throwing boys around the table. De crunch is a good power at dealing with hordes, which is currently my big fear that I'm going to be facing big groups of stuff that I'm just going to need to crunch. And uh, yeah, I think just Crunch stands a chance for me to do that. I have a feeling that if anything's going to change before I have to submit my list at the end of January, it is going to be that second power. And if anyone has any advice about what power I should be running on my Weird Boy, I would love to hear it. I had considered taking the additional CP hit to give him the Scorched Git Bones, but I'm not sure about it yet. The plus one to cast is pretty useful, so it may happen. But we're going to see. I'm already starting with only 8 CP, thanks to the second troll and buffing the boss on Squigasaur. So, yeah, I don't know. So now with their HQs out of the way, let's talk about the bulk of the army, the troops. So I am taking three units of troops. There are going to be four blocks of standard boys, one block of beast snagger boys, and one unit of grots. So first let's talk about the boys. Each squad of boys is going to be 50-50 mix slugger chopper, 
with three of the boys' squads also bringing along a big shooter. Two of the knobs, uh, one in the squad without a big shooter and one in one of the squads with a mix, also has a big chopper, otherwise the other knobs are just chopper knobs. The Beast Nagger boys come to battle with a thump gun, the grots are just ten grots. So yeah, that's a lot of models. 50 orc boys plus 10 grots. They should be enough units to secure objectives and hold them, if necessary, and what I'm expecting to have to do is to have the boys secure them in waves. So we're going to have wave 1 boys, which are the two knobs with a big chopper, they're mobs, they're going to push forward really hard at the start of the game. They're going to advance first turn, they're going to try and secure mid midfield objectives along with the other units that are going to race up the table. We then get the next unit of boys, who will be the second wave. They'll come up trying to resecure objectives if the other boys have been blown off them, or moving to resecure those positions when those boys have moved further up the table. I'm doing the mix of sluggers and shooters it's because it's what I've done in the past. I've had great success with the units of 10 with a mixed weapon. I find the sluggers, providing I've got 5 sluggers and choppers in a squad, are usually enough to put the hurt on most enemy units, especially if I get a position where I can charge them with two squads at once. So the four shooters start becoming really useful in the times I have to overwatch, or when I just need to sit an objective and shoot. Uh, that little bit more firepower is useful, especially those first couple of turns when I'm moving up the table. That said, this is one of the big asterisks on my list. I kind of expect that I'm probably going to have to drop one of the big shooters and make two dedicated slugger chopper mo not mobs and two dedicated shooting mobs and split them up into wave one and wave two. It probably wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to do, but I'm going to try at least a couple of practice games with the 50-50 split. I've just got a feeling the flexibility is going to play into my battle a lot more than having specialized units. I want the ability to send any unit off to do whatever I needed to do. A sort of tactical squad thought process there. So that leaves me with the Beast Snagger Boys and the Grots. Those guys are the complete opposites. The Beast Snagger Boys are going to be leading the first wave. They are the guys who are really barreling up the table to get stuck in and to try and take out enemy armor. Or big monsters. They are probably the unit that will be to jumped first. Throwing those into some cover near the back of the enemy lines first turn is a really big threat to enemy artillery or anything they put on their back lines. Um, use that in the past and it's good fun. Finally, the 10 Grots are probably going to be outflanked most of the time. Put in strategic reserve, taking the 1 CP hit to have them run on a table edge and secure objectives late in the game. There's not much to say about Grots. They're great for doing activations, great for securing objectives when the enemy's really not throwing firepower in their direction, and that's really what they're going to be there for. A 50-point unit to easily secure objectives when the enemy's really not looking in that direction. Points-wise, I have sank just over 500 points into those units. Makes up about a quarter of my list, but they should do the heavy lifting with the point scoring. I think I've got enough bodies to do what I need to, to saturate the table up a bit, to allow me to screen my killing units, secure objectives. Yeah, I think they'll do the work. Very much need to credit a lot of Imperial Guard tactical blogs I've been listening to recently. Uh, a lot of those have been talking about waves of infantry to secure objectives, and I've basically taken their playbook and gone, well, I can do this with orcs in the same style. I don't get move, 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 but I do get the war, which allows me to assault after charging, or to advance and then assault, which is really good. It gives me a 
what very bit of movement and because there are a lot of small little blocks that second turn war when i call it or even first turn if the enemy gets the jump on me i can be aggressive on a lot of fronts really quickly in lots of small areas i mean the ideal circumstance an enemy unit moves itself forwards into the center table sits on objective and i hit them with two mobs on either flank suddenly those five choppers becomes ten choppers plus the plus one attack plus the shooter boys acting in with a few extra hits there and there um, I don't expect any of these boy squads to operate by themselves, which is why I can get think I can get away with a 50-50 split. But we'll see. Anyway, let's move on. Then we move to my elite choices. My first unit and elites I want to talk about are my mega knobs. I'm taking a block of five mega knobs, all armed with custom shooters and power claws. These guys will follow the war boss in mega armor around to make one killy blob. All six of them will ride to battle in a truck. Though they won't have the truck boy special rule, so I will have to be a bit careful about when I disembark them. It's just not worth the trade-off being offs. But yeah, these guys are going to move up the table uh, with the war boss and just put some hurt out. This blob has been my death star in my crusade list for a long time, and I really rate the custom shooter as a weapon these days. Spending that CP to give them the more dacker to open up the number of the distance their shots go out is really fun for clearing out weak units. Yeah, I've uh, got some versatility, some good use. Definitely a unit I can plop on an objective to sit if I need to, but most of the time, really good for running around with a war boss and clearing out enemies very efficiently. The next elite unit I'll have is a unit of five tankbusters with no real upgrades, not even taking a bomb squig on them. These guys will basically do what they say on the tin. They're there to bust some tanks. The first turn, they will move forward, try and find a firing position, and then they will try and pop enemy tanks with their advanced ballistic skill when shooting at armor. They're pretty good. I like them in the new rules. Um, I used to run them in a truck all the time in the 8th edition codex, but with the rules change and the move to rockets being heavy, they really work now like a small devastator squad for those who've played a bit of Space Marines. Um, I try and, like I say, move them forward, put them in a piece of cover, and just get that 24-inch threat range sitting there to put out some dangerous firepower. They're not bad to sit on a rear objective, or an objective I know the enemy's going to try and rush with vehicles. There is another use for them, and I'll cover that when I get to my heavy section, as I have an alternate plan if I'm facing certain opponents. Next up in elites, I have my five commandos. The boss knob in this squad has a power claw. These guys will operate as close to the enemy as they can, and move and be in the right position to secure the forward objectives. Now these guys are going to be fairly mixed use. I can either throw them away in the first turn in a sneaky charge if the enemy gives me the opportunity, or they're going to be there to be shot to pieces by the enemy in their first turn. I'm hoping with the additional resilience they'll be a hard unit to shift, and the enemy will have to focus some firepower on moving them, and hopefully they can cap me some early points. If I'm really lucky, they can move up in the enemy's objective zone and start causing all sorts of fun depending on what secondaries I pick. A good flexible half-boy squad for about the same points. They're a good unit, very fun. Finally in elites, I have my five burner boys. I'm going to take a spanner with a big shooter and four burners. A pretty sensible squad, fairly good at clearing out enemy infantry, and on foot, probably not the greatest thing in the world. But I have a ride for them, which we will discuss when I switch to heavy. So we'll talk more about that in a second. Overall, my elites are there to support the main infantry push. The mega knobs are to support the war boss in their giant tank up the table. 
The Burner Boys and Commandos are very specialised to take out individual threats. And the Commandos are there to score me easy points. There's another troop unit, which I think is a good mix for this particular section of my list. Now we move to the fast attack sections. I have three units for this. The first squad is a squad of three warbikers, all armed with the standard weapons of dacogens, sluggers and choppers. With goths, they are pretty scary as a close combat threat. They can put out a fair number of attacks on the charge, especially on a turn I call a war. These guys will be set to advance up a flank to try and give the enemy some problems in their own deployment zone really quickly, ideally trying to hit enemy flankers or take out moderate threats. The enemy's trying to move a unit of Hellblasters towards me, they're going to be in to try and wipe them out in close combat as quickly as I can. With their big red button special rule, they get that move of 20 inches, gives them a really solid threat range on the turn I call a war, they can really push up the table and engage nearly anything I want to. Uh, very happy with these chaps, they performed admirably in the past, although in larger numbers. I'm going to be very interested to see in my practice games how well these guys perform. I think they've got the flexibility to be another small unit to really help spread out some threats on the table. That cannot be said for my next two fast attack choices. These guys are going to be the guys to escort my war boss on Squigasaur, we're talking about my knob on Smasher Squig, and my Squighog boys. Now the knob on Smasher Squig I'm taking basically as a knob on Smasher Squig with no real additional bonuses. I had considered spending another CP on him to give him some additional warlord traits. Maybe giving him a plus one attack or plus one strength would be fun, as would perhaps reducing the enemy's strength when attacking him. But at the end of the day, I decided to save CP. This is something I may revisit. His basic plan is to support the war boss in that charge up the table. Um, he will pick out small-time threats. Being a beast snagger, he is particularly good at taking out enemy vehicles. The same goes for the Squighub boys, who also will ride alongside the war boss. Again, taken as stock with no bomb squigs or anything. They're just going to charge up the table and uh, mash the, the boss smashers. Basically trying their best to stay within the beast boss aura uh, to maximise their effectiveness on the table. So that then leads me to my two heavy support slots. The first heavy support slot is a battle wagon. This battle wagon is pretty heavily kitted out. It comes with a death roller, four big shooters, plus the cannon, and the custom job fortress on wheels. Yes, I've sunk a lot of points into this battle wagon, but it's the model I've got. It has the death roller, it has all those guns, so it's what I'm taking. Fortress on wheels is just a good upgrade, gives it a decent invulnerable save, and if I'm going to sink some points into it, I'm going to sink those extra points to make it that little bit more survivable. So the battle wagon is dual purpose. Most of the time, it is just going to sit on my battle lines and advance up the table with everything else. It will go full speed alongside the truck to be the second threat alongside my war boss. Other times it will go in the teleporter and appear in the enemy's back lines, putting out a pile of dacker and hopefully getting a decent charge off using the ramming speed stratagem, which suddenly is a 4 CP sink, which is why I've been a little bit conservative by giving my other characters upgrades. But making a 9 inch charge on a 3d6 charge is just a lot more realistic. And the fact he'll put out mortal wounds really makes the entire battle, battering ram of that battle wagon a lot scarier, especially if it's also goth. That thing's going to hurl in, especially during a war, and really put some hurt on the enemy. The plan is, when it's teleporting into battle, it will come bearing the burner boys as well. So suddenly into the enemy's ranks appears this battle wagon that will charge in, put a pile of pain into the enemy with a ram, and then just start burning people. 
those flamers work in close combat if people stay in engagement range, so it can clear out paths around the enemy. Um, pretty effective unit. I've used it in the past like that, and it's just fun. Um, for a while, my list was going to put some flash gits in there instead for the additional high power strength shots, so it would teleport in and become a sort of gun bastion. And I think in the future, perhaps the battle wagon could be replaced by the boss bunker for a similar effect as a teleporting transport. But the flexibility for me to just deploy it normally and have it move up the table to help secure key objectives is something that can't be understated. Um, the fact I could also put the tank busters in there, if there was a particular enemy tank I knew I needed to take out, it would be possible for me to put both the tank busters and the burner boys in for quite a devastating payload to appear in the enemy's back line. Again, depending on the opponent and depending exactly what I need to do that battle. A lot of flexibility, really like that idea. And the final unit in the heavy support slot is a single mech gun carrying a custom mega cannon. It's not much, it comes in as the cheapest unit in my list, and it will hang out next to the big mech, or near the big mech, and just put off pot shots. The two of them combined will provide a sort of background fire support for my list, with the big mech being able to fix it from time to time if it takes any incoming fire, hopefully also ensuring that the big mech doesn't, you know, get sniped out himself, it will provide an extra unit, have a few of the grots scattered around it, acting as, you know, guys standing near a gun. It's a pretty solid idea in my mind. I do have a habit of moving it around, even in my Crusade games I play with it. Um, it's fairly flexible. Um, the grots ballistic skill makes it a pretty steady unit of being able to chink out saves off the enemy, um, and they usually forget about it the first couple of turns. Eventually they'll focus it down when they start seeing it doing some real damage, but it's a low yield threat, and I kind of like it. So that leaves the final unit in the list, and that is the Dakajet filling in the flyer support for this particular list. The Dakajet will be coming to battle with the four super shooters. I'd very much like to give it the more Daka custom upgrade, but at the moment I don't have the 15 points to spare. There are a few places I could strip 15 points from, but we're going to see how the list develops. Overall, the Dakajet is a great gunboat. I really like most of the Orc Flyers, but I definitely think the Dakajet is the value for money. Um, the Super Shooters are a really fun Daka weapon, and the number of strength 6 shots it will be able to put out will really put my opponents on edge. Definitely think it's got flexibility, definitely think it's a good place in the list. I don't think it matters what the rest of my list would be, it's just a great shoe-in. And yeah, more Daka probably would help on a 4 plus getting that plus 4 shots. Definitely good. Um, whether it's worth me taking the three big shooters out of the boys' squads, yeah, probably. Uh, that does mean, though, I'd need to paint up a few more boys, as this is my painted collection, and I'm already running into that issue already, which I think is going to be the way I wrap this list up. Or at least something I will come back to talk about once I've talked about the main plan. Okay, so the next big question is, what three secondary objectives will I be taking with this list? Well, the answer is, I'm being really flexible. Definitely looking at engaging all fronts, something my list should be able to do pretty easily. I've got a lot of units, I'm going to be able to spread out pretty quickly across the table, and yeah, basically engage in all fronts. Have something going on everywhere on the battlefield. That'd be the ideal conditions for my orcs. Behind enemy lines is still on the table, especially if I'm looking at an opponent who may be a little bit too aggressive and be able to clear out my small units far too fast. So my second objective will probably be retrieve data or raise the banners. Both shadow operations, both stuff I should be able to achieve with the number of units. Banners is definitely something I definitely have a good chance of being able to pull off fairly well. Retrieve data, even with the change to 
R-N-D. I think it's probably something I'll be able to achieve. Uh, won't be getting my characters to do it, but I've got enough units to try and pull off those actions. Finally, I'll be looking at either the biggest and the best, or no prisoners. Uh, depends exactly on who I'm fighting, but we'll sort of position that based on what I need to do to the enemy. I know a lot of folks really talk about picking secondaries that don't require interaction with the opponents, but I'm an orc, and I'm going to have to get stuck in. We don't have a good objective in our core book for picking an easy win, so I may as well just go and get stuck in and try and take out the opponent. I will look at the opponent's list, decide what I can easily take out, and pick the objective that best matches that. Which I think ties around to the overall battle plan. So, I'll have the two primary threats of the two mobs around the warboss. I'll have the Beast Snagger Blob and the Mega Knob Blob. The Mega Blob charges up one flank, the Beast Snagger charges up the other. Uh, the Mega Knob Blob takes a more central position to support as many boys units as possible, while as the Mega Knob Blob goes after the biggest enemy vehicle. Uh, quite often a lot of lists I've seen have a couple of big hard-hitting tanks or walkers or knights or something, or monsters, and they'll be priority for the Beast Snaggers. They'll target that and try and take it off the table as quickly as they can. The objective being to take out those big threats before they can damage the hordes of boys running around doing their thing. The Warbikes and Commandos go up the other flank to try and put a bit of threat over there to make sure I'm not completely losing engage on all fronts, while eventually the Weird Boy and the Teleporter throw units into the enemy's backline to mean they're suddenly surrounded and fighting orcs in every direction. Hopefully every unit that the enemy has will have a threat approaching them, and while I can focus fire on the enemy, they're going to be divided about what threat they have to deal with. Every unit has a chance of becoming a threat if I give them the correct buffs, or just declare the war and overwhelm the opponent rather quickly. It's idealised, it's probably going to be a very tactically play type list. I'm going to need to get a lot of practice games in to get working with it, and as I do that, I'm going to record additional podcasts, talk about the games, talk about how the units performed, talk about what I'm going to change in the list going forward, and just slowly improve my my gameplay. So there we are. That's the end of episode three of The Overcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave a wonderful note somewhere, write me a good review, shoot me an email to god.engine.cast at gmail.com, or reach out to me through the other places I've mentioned earlier in this podcast. Hopefully the next episode I record will be a conversation about the goths, or even me returning to talk about how this list plays on the tabletop. I'm hoping to take it out for its first spin next weekend. Weather being well, hopefully I'm not iced in in Oklahoma, but we will see how it goes. But until then, I will wish you all well. Hope you're having a fantastic new year, and I will speak to you again soon. Thank you again for listening to The Othercast, a podcast dedicated to exploring the ideas around the Orcs in the Warhammer 40,000 universe produced by Games Workshop. This show was written, recorded, and edited by Martin Emery. This podcast is completely unofficial and in no way endorsed by Games Workshop Limited. No challenge to any trademark or copyrights is intended. All rights are reserved by their respective owners. And if you have questions for the show, please email me. Until next time, I wish you all well.